as a, uh, uh, a parent currently of five children in my house uh, in the wide arrangement of ages from 16 to now five, um, I wonder if my words are heard. <laughs> um, I wonder oftentimes, even, even as, a, as your pastor, as speaking every Sunday morning, I wonder if you, the people, are listening. Do you desire to listen? Uh, maybe you're a mom or a parent who stays home with kids all day long with littles, and you're talking like toddler talk, and, and you wonder if anybody is listening to you. Wives, do you ever wonder if your husband is listening to you, right? I think, yeah. Uh, all right, we'll leave it there. Elderly parents often wonder if their established children are really listening to them or even desire the value and see the value in listening to them. For me, I like to think about the human side of Jesus, and I wonder oftentimes if Jesus asked himself and how often he did if, they, if people were listening to him. If anyone actually heard the words that he was saying and teaching. The stories of the disciples uh, in the multiple times, and the multiple lessons that Jesus talked to them and taught them and said things two, three, even four times, and they seemed to not always get it. I wonder if Jesus questioned whether or not they were really listening. Is anyone listening? I think that's a question that sometimes we wrestle with in our minds and in our, in our emotions and in, in our uh, feelings. Uh, last week for Easter, we celebrated this empty tomb, uh, the meaning of the empty tomb, the significance of the empty tomb, what, what it meant for the people back then and what it means for us today. And we've already established that. The, we have the same meaning, the same purpose, the same power. Uh, we, all, we all have that same access to it. And I wonder, do we get it? I wonder, did they get it in the moment back then, uh, what we talked about last week, the Easter story, did they get it? Do we get it today? And if we look back, even just over last week, in the celebration and the, the, uh, how great last week was, even just for us as uh, the little church that meets in the barn in Sudden Valley, you would think that, yeah, like, I totally get it. I mean, we had 400-plus people come to an Easter egg hunt for the community, and, and, and the community, I tell you what, just, just flooded us with appreciation uh, for being able to do that. We had that 8 a.m. sunrise service. If you didn't hear, like, God, cloudy and windy, and then, like, at 7.50, the clouds started to drift away, and then, like, mid-first song with Price, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. God had like lit up AM Beach, and it was amazing. Six people gave their life to Christ, responded for the first time to give their life. And then at 10 a.m., we had an amazing service in here. We packed out the barn, had a full band, we celebrated, we worshiped, and five more people made a first time decision to follow Jesus. Crazy. I mean, that is amazing. And so if we look back even over, uh, even over the last week, we have to say, like, oh, I get it. But I, but I wonder for us if that is the case oftentimes as we turn around in our week and as we go through, uh, go through our week. The blessing, the way we would come together and celebrate Jesus on a weekly basis uh, it, as we press into even continuing the significance of what Easter is, what the empty tomb is. 
And you've heard me say it before, and it's uh, um, even today you've heard me say it before, like the tomb is still empty for us. And I wonder why, uh, because I've, I've taught it this way before, that Jesus, telling his disciples three different times, I'm going, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to head into Jerusalem, uh, and, and I'm going to have to die. But where I'm going, you can't go right now, but I'm preparing a way for you. And, but, but I'll tell you what, three days later, I'm going to rise again, right? And so I think about Jesus in that moment, and the followers, and knew at least most everybody had even heard whispers that that's what Jesus was saying was going to happen. And they had already seen and heard the miracles of healings and, 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 and teachings and all that kind of stuff. So even at the mere idea that Jesus mentioned that that's what's going to happen, you would think, you would think that there would have been a crowd there. Maybe, maybe a little bit bigger than what we had on the beach, 60, 70 people, maybe more than we had here. I mean, but at least a little crowd would have been there on that third morning when Jesus said he would rise again. But I, I like the picture that Jesus did the whole like, and I don't know how he did it, like stone roll away or like, you know, I don't know. Or maybe he just like manned up and he like pushed it himself like a superhero would be. I don't know. Maybe a legion of angels came down and pushed it away. I, but, but when that stone rolled away and Jesus walked out of the tomb and there was no one there. Like that's probably one of the biggest questions I, need, I will want an answer for. Like when I get to heaven and I get to hang out with Matthew and Mark and, and all those guys would be like, where were you? Like if I would have I been there. But they weren't. They weren't there. And so Jesus, as he comes out, I wonder, and you could, we could chalk it up that that's ultimately God's plan, and, and, and we don't get to understand everything in the moment, but, but seriously, no one was there. And Jesus had told them how it was going to go down. So this morning, I want to actually read uh, the Easter, uh, that portion of the Easter story. We didn't read it last week, uh, and so I want to I do that this morning. It's going to be, we're going to read out of Mark, Mark 16. So if you have your Bible, you can uh, and I'm going to stop periodically throughout, but uh, you can read along with me or you can just listen. Some of the verses later on will be on the screen, but these won't. Mark 16, 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint Jesus' body, a custom at that time. Very early on the first day of the week, this would be that Easter Sunday, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. Uh, I, got a, I got a video from a teaching uh, from my buddy Kurt, uh, and, and it gave me kind of this understanding of the lunar calendar and light and dark and, and how in the middle of the day, the day turned dark, and that's how you get to three days. But that third day, Jesus, uh, Jesus came out of that tomb, and, and then there was the passing, the Sabbath, which was the Saturday, which would not be the, the day that the women would be able to uh, walk to the tomb because that would be considered work, and definitely anointing a body wouldn't happen on the Sabbath. But so they came that Sunday morning, that Easter morning, to anoint the body in the stone, says in verse 3. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be afraid, he said. Or don't be alarmed. Uh, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. Ooh, that was, that was pretty good. That was, I thought you guys were going to do a little less, but here we, we get another chance. He's not here. 
See the place where they had laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling, uh, trembling in bewilderment, the women went out and fled the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, actually, we know that they, had went, they, they would go on and tell the disciples uh, that, Jesus, that the tomb was empty. Uh, but there's an utterance in that description, and it's in, I think, I think three of the Gospels uh, that, that, is, that, for me at least, over the last few weeks, uh, I, I kind of first stumbled onto it about three weeks ago that kind of just turned my insides, like, in a good way, like, it just, like, rocked me with hope and assurance, and, and I was just like, oh, I've never read it that way before. Now, we have a, a, a person in the tomb dressed in white. Uh, that person addresses the women with the, don't be alarmed. Uh, anytime an angel shows up in the Bible, uh, it says in the Bible, don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. Rightly so, because I tell you what, if I had an interaction like that, I would be afraid. And so that's how the response is every time. So denoting don't be alarmed, denoting that he was dressed in white, denoting that he was in the tomb, uh, it, it is not a stretch by any means to figure that this was an angel uh, in his appearance. But, it's, but it, it's the, 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 what, is, what is mentioned on, in verse 7 is what rocked me. Here it is, Mark 16, 7. But go and tell his disciples and Peter... He is, a going, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as I told you. And here's the deal. This is the two words in this verse that really rocked me. Go and tell the disciples, and Peter. Now, if you read your Bible, or if you listen to me, like, I talk about Peter a lot because I tend to relate to Peter quite a bit. He's kind of the, the, the disciple acts out, speaks out of turn a lot, like he's, you know, Jesus got to keep him close because if he lets him float away, like he's going to get in trouble, so Jesus keeps him close. But uh, he was a disciple, unquestionably a disciple. And so this angel says to them, go and tell the disciples, and Peter. And he says it that way, I think, with great meaning, because, uh, beca because we do know that Peter is a disciple. We do know that they're all gathered together when the women show up to tell them. But there's a reminder in there to specifically tell Peter. Go and tell the disciples in Peter. You see, the women, they would run back, and they would burst into the room, and they would, they would say that they saw Jesus and that he wasn't there, that he is risen. There we go. We're going to do this all year. All right? No. Um, he is risen. Oh, there we go. All right. I'm going to say it on accident one time and not give you enough time. Uh, and, and, and they run back, and, and we know that Judas had already uh, left the disciples. He had already actually committed suicide. But, but the utterance of end Peter. And I, and I think to myself, because Peter where he is at currently on this morning, he's playing back in his head the events of what had happened. Much like all the disciples were. They, were, they weren't there at the tomb. I'm, I'm, I want to believe that they really felt Jesus was going to rise on that third day, even though they weren't there to greet him and like be like, Jesus! You know, like, 
But I think that they believed it. Peter was there in the room. Um, and, and if you remember, if we go back the moment that Peter is playing in his head about 48 hours earlier uh, on that Thursday, uh, Jesus had told them that, uh, that uh, they would uh, leave him, that, they would, that he would leave them. And, and, and Peter, if you remember, he says, uh, he says, no way, Jesus, I'm with you. Like, if you die, I'm dying. Like, I will never leave you. They all might leave you, but I will never leave your side. Like, bro, I'm with you to the end, right? And so Peter says this to Jesus, and Jesus says, uh, Jesus says, all right, Peter, let's, let's just get real for a moment. Jesus says, before the rooster crows two times, you're actually going to deny me three times. Peter's like, no, never. Like, I'm right by you, Jesus. Like, me and you, we're hanging out. It's going to be good. I'm never leaving. And if we replay that moment, as Jesus is beaten and, and, and carries his cross and is, uh, is uh, set to sacrifice himself for everybody. Before it had all happened, after Jesus had already been beaten and they'd cast lots for his clothing, uh, Peter's gathered around a fire and a woman says, hey, aren't you that guy? You were hanging out with Jesus. And Peter says, I don't understand what you're talking about. Couldn't be. Couldn't be me. And then a little bit later, another person says, no, 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 no. You are that guy. Like, you are one of them that were hanging out with... Peter's like, nope, nope. And in there, rooster crows once. And then a third time, they say, no, 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 no. I recognize your accent. I actually, you look like a Galilean. Like, you were there. And, and, and Peter says, don't know the guy. I have no idea what you were talking about. And so as the women rush that room and uh, are reminded by the angel, tell the disciples and Peter, that's where Peter's at in that moment. He's replaying that moment because at that second crow of the rooster, the third denial, the scriptures tell us that Jesus actually looked and caught eye contact with Peter. And it's actually recorded that Peter, I mean, we don't get a lot of Peter's emotions, but he wept. He's crushed on the inside that he would be the one, after how confident he was that he would not leave Jesus aside, that he would be the one. Have you been there? Have you been there in a moment? I mean, I think we can relate to it. I can relate to it. We've we, been there in a place, a place where you feel just utterly defeated, where, a place where you know you've let someone down, someone maybe even really close to you down, where you've let, even, even if you're early in walking with Jesus, there might even be a moment where you feel like you've let Jesus down with the life that you've lived or the choices that you've made. Maybe for you it's a place of hurt and, and, and pain where life just hasn't gone the way you thought it would Maybe for you, it's a place where you've made a couple bad decisions uh, and it's led you to this place of uncertainty or pretending or hiding. Maybe it's a place where you feel that shame uh, from actions or reactions you might have had in your life, circumstances that have really just beaten you down. Maybe you're in a place of anxiety and fear that others, find, uh, that sh that others might find out that you're not quite as perfect as you want to depict that you are. 
Or truly you don't feel like you're able to live up to what you feel your ideal is. Have you been there? Have you been in any of those moments? It's in those moments that God utters those words through the angel and Peter. Go remind the disciples in Peter, and that is a glimpse of the Spirit of God. The living and active Spirit of God that's alive today that wants and desires to be with each one of us. That he pursues and wants to remind us of, even in the midst of all that, of his presence. We talked about it last week, Romans 5. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And, and as we sit on this side of that debt that has been paid, uh, his spirit is alive and well, and his spirit is the one that is pursuing us and desiring to have that relationship and lead us out of those moments and feelings that we often can find ourselves in. Go and tell. Come and see. The tomb is empty. And Peter, and you. Make sure you know, make sure you feel, make sure you see the Spirit of God. That's the, the heart of God towards his people. And Jesus said that he would send his Spirit once he was gone to dwell in and amongst all of us. Right, John 14, 15 through 17 says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it, is neither, it neither sees nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Those are those moments where we know we are beaten and defeated and we feel like we want to rise out of those moments. That is the hand of God saying, come and see the power of which you have access to. The trick for us is recognizing that voice, is recognizing that presence in our lives because oftentimes it's hard to get to that point, that point of truth. And we get hung up and we allow the confusion, the, the earthly surroundings, the chaos, the, the, uh, uh, we allow all that to kind of drown out his spirit. Right? We allow the hurt and the pain and the, our emotions, we allow... Uh, the displeasure or the, the dysfunction, the chaos, the uncertainty, the busy, uh, steer our life, steer our uh, earthly spirit, defeat our earthly spirit, defeat our, uh, our essence of what, what, we d what beats us up here. Have you ever felt like life has just sucked life out of you? Like you've just felt like, oh, just got the life sucked out of me. This past week, uh, more so, and I don't even know why, but more so than any other uh, week following Easter. Easter is kind of a big week for pastors, a little bit. And so uh, every week, every day this past week, I've gotten out of bed and I've just wanted to crawl back in bed. <laughs> uh, I finally did it on Friday. Uh, so on Friday, I was still like, I just want to crawl back in bed. And I wrestled with that this week of just letting life kind of get me down and like make me just want to crawl back in bed and hide. Um, and, and, uh, and, 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 and for the disciples and even those that had gathered and for Peter, they could have allowed that to happen. 
They could have disassociated. They could have uh, kind of isolated themselves, and they started to. But Peter, uh, quite frankly, and any of the disciples being present, they desert. They they have that moment where we know that they deserted Jesus on the cross, or even in Peter's case, denying him outright. And they they could have at that moment even cashed it in, and said, "Ah, that's it. I'm done. I'm finished." we get to uh, have the rest of the story and know that they went on to do amazing things in Acts in the, in the early church and, uh, and uh, they didn't wallow long. But church, how many times have you felt defeated? Have you felt uh, low? Have you felt, you know, the scientific term of that is like crappy. How long, how many times have you felt that? And then you've allowed that to even push you further down. And not, cli- not climb and crawl your way back up with his spirit and, and allow him to move, but just to be like, I'm done. And promising his spirit and recognizing his spirit, Jesus says this, John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And in his word, you will ha- in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He is risen. Right? Like, I have overcome the world. I have defeated death. I have defeated those emotions. I've defeated those feelings of, like, beating you down. I've defeated all of those things so that you may have that life in the Spirit. I've said it a lot recently because I think I've felt it a lot recently, but our God is not a God of shame, of guilt, right? It is, the, it is the shame that caused Judas in the moment to take his life. Our God is not a God of shame and guilt. Right? It is the shame and the guilt of what Peter felt that caused him to weep and to be in that place where he needed to be reminded that God desired to go ahead of him, that God desired to meet up with him, that God desired to be with him. We must recognize the Spirit of God more so, any, more so even recognize what isn't the Spirit of God in our lives. God does not devalue any of us any of us within these walls and any of us outside of these walls, despite whatever lifestyle, whatever place we're at, wherever darkness we're in, like he sees value in his creation and you are his creation. You are his children and everybody outside those doors are his children as well. He does not devalue us. He's not a God of shame. He's not a God of guilt. He's not a God of devaluing his creation. He gives meaning and lifts us out of what the psalmist calls the muck in the mire, what we find ourselves dredging in, right? He brings peace. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but gives us power, love, and self-control. I want to say that this verse is the most misused verse of COVID. 
You've probably seen this verse. Our God is not a God of fear, right? And I don't even have to tell you what that has been associated to, right? For you to know or understand it. Our God's not a God of fear. But I think if we, uh, if we team that verse up, the 2 Timothy verse, as well as the verse of John 14, uh, the, if you love me and keep my commands, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you. Uh, and be with you forever the spirit of truth like if we use that as well as that timothy verse of for god gave us a spirit did not give us a spirit for god gave us a spirit not of fear but gives us power and love and self-control i think that we would uh we we would uh look at those two verses and on one side we might see this oh you know god doesn't want us to fear god wants us to put our hope faith and trust in there but what follows that is love in both cases. And then the tough one about that is uh, self-control or discipline. So God did not give us a, a, a spirit of fear, but that he calls us to love and he calls us to discipline and self-control. Like, I'm going to grab onto the no fear because I don't want to fear things. Like, I want to trust God. And I actually want to tell other people that they just need to trust God. Maybe even a little shame wrapped up in that. But... But those words that follow that, love and self-control, those are the things that we need to focus on because both of those things, love, self-control, and discipline, lead us out of fear. Not mere trusting, right? Actually knowing and understanding our God and allowing him to work and allowing us to know his truths and live within those truths, have the discipline to act in those truths, and have the willingness to love crazy love like god does like everybody like not just the 80 of us here but the everybody outside those doors like god says like i'm, I'm it's gonna be crazy love like love everybody that when we can operate in those things then we're able to understand the no fear no shame no guilt understand and feel god's presence in our lives it, and that's knowing his spirit and operating in his truth but not only knowing, it's, it's actually interacting and working through the Spirit of God. What does is, what is self-control look like for you? What does discipline look like for you? If you're anything like me, it's hard. It's work. It's something I have to desire to do. It's something that I actually have to choose to live in. Right? It's possible that uh, uh, at the end of, uh, end of this recording of Peter, and we get the rest of the story, which is great, um, Peter actually uh, becomes a track star when, uh, when the women rush into the room and, and, and remind everybody, that, or tell everybody that the tomb is empty, Jesus isn't there anymore, and then they replay those words that they had heard three times, like, oh, God said he would rise again, and then Peter, from the back of the room, he's in the corner, back in the back, kind of defeated, and then he just sprints to the tomb. And actually, Scripture tells us he wins the race, right? Like, he gets there first, and he sees that it's empty. But even more so than that, we get this idea of, uh, of, of this interaction with God and his desire, even for Peter. Uh, the story's in John 21. I'm going to kind of paraphrase it for you. Uh, because uh, Jesus, after uh, appearing to the disciples and to many people at different times, uh, the disciples find themselves, and you can wrestle with this however much you want, 
they're back fishing. So I don't know if it was like, you know, like they had been killing it on the mission field and evangelizing like nobody. And then now they had kind of been like, let's just take a day off and go fishing. Um, uh, is it Paisley that sings that song? I'm going fishing. They're just going fishing, all right? And they're out there. And whether or not that they've just kind of gone back to their old ways, that's for you to determine. But they're out there in the boat and they're not catching anything. Uh, and uh, Jesus appears on the beach and he starts a fire and probably one of the coolest moments that Jesus has. I think washing feet and then like this one is like number two. Uh, Jesus prepares a fire on the beach and, uh, and then he calls it, hey, you guys, you catch anything? Like we went to the fishing derby yesterday. I took Micah and Charlotte and Josiah. There was like 15 or so kids down there. Not one person caught a fish all day. Nobody caught a fish. And so I was playing this. I'm just actually getting this now. This is good. Nobody caught a fish. And so much like that, the disciples, career fishermen, are out there fishing. Nobody catches a fish. And Jesus says, hey, you catch anything? And they're like, no. You know, they're coming in. And Jesus says, well, throw your nets over on the right side of the boat. Like, we know the rest of the story. I think it's like recorded. I think it's 153 fish. Uh, I don't see it in here. Oh, 153, yeah. Equivalent of 153 fish. Um, and the net's full, and they pull it in, and, and, and then Jesus has a fish fry on the beach. Man, I love that. Like, if you catch fish, and you want to invite me to a fish fry, I'm in. Always a yes. Uh, so just let me know. But um, Jesus prepares this fire, and is cooking some fish, and, uh, and, and him and Peter have a moment together on the beach, and, um, and I don't know where Peter's at at this moment, like Jesus had defeated the grave, he knew the tomb was empty, Peter's maybe lifted himself out of that, that muck in the mire that he was kind of working in, and, and, and Peter and Jesus have this moment, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you love me? Like, like do you love me? And Peter's like, dude, I told you I was going to stand by your side the whole time, of course I love you. No, but Jesus is like, no, like, do you, do you love me? Like, do you truly love me? And Peter's like, yes, like, yes, I've learned my lesson. Like, I, I know that thing happened, but yes, I love you. And then Jesus says, no, 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 do you love me? Like, do you truly love me? And I think in that moment, Peter's like, like, in the moment, it's probably all of the same emotions that he felt at that third denial, but then also all of the emotions of a God that loved him so much that he was willing to have that conversation with him that said, no, 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 no. Like, do you love me? Like, do you love me? Three times. Peter's like, yes, yes, yes. And so we get this moment where, where Jesus, it's recorded that he actually reinstates Peter. And we know that Peter went on to do amazing evangelical work in the new church and the building of this church and, 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 and the foundation of it and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's because of that willingness that Peter had to interact with a real God and his spirit and leading and, and this reinstatement where God says to him, like, no, you are my child. And I desire to have a relationship with you. And I love you, despite wherever you're at. Whatever the lowest of low has been or is for you right now, I love you. And my spirit is with you. 
and it will lift you out of all of this. There is another side, and that is my desire for you. That is the essence and the spirit of a real and active God that desires nothing more than to have that beach fish fry with you moment where he says, please, please love me. Feed my sheep. Be about my spirit and the work that I've given for you. Amen? Let's pray. Ben, you want to come forward? Lord, we... Uh, oh, cheers. Lord, we thank you for uh, your willingness to, uh, to meet with us. Lord, we thank you that, uh, that despite our oftentimes um, ways that we fall short or we uh, get into places and moments and spaces where we feel defeated. We feel uh, like the wind is out of our sails, uh, Lord, that the life is just sucked out of us, Lord. We thank you that it's in those moments. That it's not like you're, se you're not separate from those moments, God, but that you're actually in those moments with us. That actually we have to dust off those moments, that we have to shake off the, the clay that's gathered around, the, 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 whatever's sucking the life out of us. We have to shake those off and actually experience your presence. And we thank you that it's through the active work of your spirit that we are able to feel and, and rise up out of those moments with meaning and purpose and, and understanding, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you, uh, it is your design to, uh, to speak to us, your creation here on earth that often falls short, Lord, but that it's actually your design to use us, to lead us, into moments where we desire, where you desire nothing but to lead us into the greatness of your plan and what you have for our lives, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you depicted that with Peter and all of the disciples, and that you gave us everything that, uh, that we needed in the work that you did on the cross, the defeat of death, and, and, and then giving us your spirit, Lord, that we have everything we need here on earth, to do the work that you've called each one of us to do, Lord. That we get to choose to walk in it, Lord. Lord, as we close in these last two songs, may we worship and praise a God that is singing with us, that is, uh, that is leading us in singing with us, Lord, into, uh, into your presence, Lord. Pray this in your name.